Tony Coppolo and his son Bart, an avowed humanist, debate their spiritual differences and explore similarities involving faith, belief, and hope that they, uh, the hope that they share together. You know, they still have hope. Somebody's got hope somewhere. Over Thanksgiving dinner, 50-year-old Bart Campolo announced to his evangelical pastor, Father Tony Campolo, that after a lifetime immersed in the Christian faith, he no longer believed in God. The revelation shook the Campolo family dynamic and forced father and son to each reconsider his own personal journey of faith. Dual spiritual investigations into theology, faith, and humanism that eventually led Bart and Tony back to one another. Oh, that sounds like a movie for a Sunday afternoon right isn't there. That, a little, isn't that sweet? A little Hallmark moment. That's, That's right. beautiful. It is lovely. Yeah. I think we put you on the low low chair. What are you doing down there? I'm, I'm just a low guy. That's all. <laughs> what yeah. did you say when you came in here? I asked how's your temperature, and you said I'm just a old tired old man. You oh. know how old are you? Eighty two. Whoa, dude, you're looking great. That is old. Yeah, but uh, sexy. Oh yeah, sexy. Hey. Yeah, that's right. First horrible joke you ever told on my show. Okay. Was the one about yelling downstairs. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to deliver that one, or do you want me I to do it? I think I remember it. Uh, you know you're old when your wife says, let's go upstairs and have sex, and you say, I can't do both. <laughs> you know you're old. <laughs> uh, do you want the Pat Boone update? The pa- oh, yeah. What's he doing? Uh, Into the Countryside is apparently the new album, and he's actually at Niagara Falls at the end of June. Yeah, we're, Falls, we're, we'll get him back on the show again and talk about his shoes. Everybody talks about his shoes. You've met Pat Boone, haven't you? Yes, you guys I have. went bowling or something? No, or we golf didn't do anything or... like that. No. But uh, we have a common friend in Bill Gaither. I've heard yeah, of him. Yeah, and Bill Gaither brings a lot of people together. He does, except here's the thing I don't understand about the Gaither concerts. They're about seven hours long. <laughs> and they, they, they play they to a seem, crowd. They, they seem seven <laughs> hours long. They're actually only two and a half hours okay. long. But guys like you, you know, it, it seems long. you got to be my age. No. You know, 82. But this is we I, think it's terrific. This, you, you guys, you, you know, in your 50s or lower, yeah. you, you mm. think that's, that's long. All I know is the crowd they're playing to yes. need more bathroom breaks. That's why it's seven hours, so you well, can get up and you don't miss anything. And it should be sponsored by Depends. Come on. Yeah, That'd well. That'd be a great corporate yeah. gig. Yeah, they. I think one of my students said, uh, hey, Campolo, do you wear uh, boxers or, or briefs? Briefs, And I said, Depends. Nice. <laughs> He's here all week, folks. Enjoy the veal. When did you first realize, Dr. Campolo, that you were funny? Oh. Has that happened yet, by the way? No, it really <laughs> hasn't. I'm still working on it. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm old. As I said, I'm 82 now. Yeah. And uh, I was saying to some people today, you know you're old when you go to a wedding and the bride's grandmother looks better to you than the bride. That's then awful. You know. That is then awful. you know you're over the hill. I live actually in a retirement community. In the old days, we called them an old folks home. Yes, I live in one of those. Do you now? And they're fun. Are they? Oh, they're fun. Shuffleboard. Uh, and... Well, yeah, that's right. And 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 we have good jokes. We have good jokes. Sure. You know, uh, the one that I picked up recently is one of the ladies 
was having dinner with his guy almost every night. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally he said, uh, will you marry me? And she said, yes. But the next morning, he couldn't remember. Did she say yes or did she say no? Mm-hmm. So he goes down to the room, knocks on the door. She opens the door. He said, I'm embarrassed. I asked you to marry me last night. I can't remember. Did you say yes? Did you say no? She said, she, she said, I said yes, but I'm so glad you stopped by because I couldn't remember who it was I said yes to. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, um, the, these jokes are getting worse, by the way. They are. They just, that it was... comes with old age. <laughs> it comes with old age. Why are you still, seriously, just stop. Stop. You're 82. What did you say? 82. Well, you stop. Are... Just stay in the in the home and shuffleboard no, 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 and no, 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 knit no. or denture clean or whatever you guys do. Just stop. Well, uh, whenever World Vision invites me up here mm. to speak at a church, uh, I, I say yes. Uh, World Vision has a sponsorship program, you know, for 39 bucks. You can feed. You can clothe. You can educate uh, you can provide medical care. You can deliver the whole ball of wax to a kid in a third world country. You know, when I hang up my sneakers at the end, I want to have chalked up huh. as many child sponsorships as I can possibly recruit. So, uh, Do you have a tally? Yeah, I do. Do I, you not? Yeah, do you really? I, yeah, I do. I'm well over the, I'm well the 25,000 mark. So, ah. so, you know, that, that's, that's a good thing, you know. If I get, I don't think it's going to happen, but if I do get to heaven and you're not there, yeah, something's wrong. Well, if I get to heaven, I'll be surprised. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, it's not through works. It's the gift. That's yeah. the good news. It's not how good I am or how much good you've done or I've done. But, uh, you know, we evangelical types uh, basically said it's what Jesus did for us not what we did for Jesus that really counts. Hmm. And so I need to say that. Uh, this, is a, this is a tough time for evangelicals in the United States. Yeah, it is. Because they've allied themselves so closely with Donald Trump. As a matter of fact, we started a new movement. I don't know whether you have that in your notes, called the Red Letter Christians Movement. Because on university campuses, where I spend most of my time, more and more young people say, we don't want to call ourselves evangelicals anymore. And when, when you say evangelical, the first word that comes to the secular mind is you're homophobic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second word is you're anti-feminist. The third word is you're anti-environmentalist. Uh, the next word is you're pro-war. You're pro- and we're saying, no, 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 that's not who I am. Well, you're an evangelical. The word evangelical has lost its meaning. It has come to mean you're a right-wing Republican rather than you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's in many secular minds. The media has done it in part, but I think the evangelicals have done it to themselves. So we started this new movement called Red Letter Christians. You can go to our website, redletterchristians.org, and find out all about it. You can sign on and say, yeah, I'm for those red letters in the Bible. You know, the words of Jesus highlighted in red letters. I'm in for those. I, I, I have problems with uh, being a, an evangelical. I have no problem with being a follower right. of Jesus. Right. So one time when I was crossing the border into your states, the customs uh, person or whatever the border dude uh, it was asking me questions and questions. And so what do you do? Well, I work in broadcast. Well, yeah, but what do you do? Well, I uh, radio. Talk radio, music radio. Well, just talk radio. Well, what do you talk about? Well, I interview people about what they believe spiritually. Then he goes, well, what do you believe? 
First of all, I don't think they're allowed to ask that question, but whatever. What do you believe? And at this point, I was getting a little snarky about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So I finally went, really? You want to know what I believe? I'm a red-letter agnostic theist. And the reason I dropped that on him was to, A, shut him up, but, B, give a little kudos to you. Because one time years ago on the phone when I was chatting with you, you forced me to define who I was. Give me some, I wanted, you know, and I I dropped this on you, and and you said, uh, yeah, that was a load of crap. Yeah. Yeah, red-letter agnostic theist. Do you understand that? Agnostic theist. So you get the red letter part because you invented yeah. that. Uh, agnostic, I don't know. Theist, yeah. boy, this world reeks of design and purpose and creation. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. Are you okay? Can I, can I, do, can can, I keep can, saying that? You can use that. You can use that. You know, uh, when you say agnostic theist, that's an interesting combination of words mm-hmm. because theist means you believe in God, but you can't define God. You can't put God into words. I'm always intrigued with these theological textbooks where there's a chapter called The Doctrine of God. And in the next 40 pages, you're going to find out all there is to know about God. I mean, God is beyond the intelligence of a human being. I mean, you cannot describe God. And uh, that needs to be said. You can experience God. Uh, I want to say that. I don't don't know, man. Um, Well, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this, Drew. Every morning when I wake up, including this morning when I had to get up at 4 o'clock to get here. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. You know, you know, I woke up, but I always take the first 15 minutes, and I pray, and I don't say anything. You know, they asked Mother Teresa once, when you pray, what do you say to God? She said, I don't say anything. I listen. So the interviewer said, all right. What does God say to you? She said, God doesn't say anything. God listens. Then she said, if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. I do understand that. A kind of praying where you say nothing and you hear nothing, but in quietude and in stillness, you simply surrender and wait. Wait to be invaded. And I feel myself, not every morning. I'm a sociologist, so I've calculated it out to one out of every nine times. (laughs) I I I feel something in the morning. I feel the Spirit of God. I, I feel myself being invaded, penetrated. Uh, I, I sense myself experiencing, experiencing God. Uh, Jesus said, you know, if you want to pray, you can talk with a lot of words, you know, mm-hmm. like the religious leaders do. A lot of words. Or you can go into a closet and shut the door. And the God that meets you in secret will reward you openly. That's what I do. I go into, you know, metaphorically, a closet. I shut the world out. And for 15 to 20 minutes, I don't say anything. I just center down on Jesus and wait to feel his presence. And I wish I could say every morning, I feel myself overwhelmed by God. It doesn't happen that way. But about one out of every nine times, something does happen to me. Did Bart ever experience that? I'm not sure. Because, because obviously the follow-up is, well, if Bart experienced the kind of things you've experienced, then how could he turn his back on Jesus well, and the stuff? the thing that happens with a guy like Bart is he goes back and questions whether his experiences with God were authentic. By the way, for our listeners, we're talking about Tony's son, Bart Campolo. Yeah, we wrote a book. Uh, you can uh, get it on Amazon.com, I guess, uh, called Why I Left, Why I Stayed. And in alternate chapters, he explains why he stopped believing in God. And the next chapter, I write what I 
still, why I still believe in God mm-hmm. and why God is such an overarching, uh, significant reality in my life. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of things I have to deal with in life. And at 82, one of the things I have to deal with is pretty obvious, dying. You know, I thought you were going to say incontinence, but yeah, no. <laughs> sorry, I had that problem okay. too. But uh, you know, <laughs> and every time that happens, I say I wish I was dead. <laughs> you know, it's the same They're thing. synonymous. I yeah, see yeah. these two topics. But, yes, uh, yeah. the reality is, you know, I, I go to bed at night, and very often when I put my head on the pillow at my age, a thought runs through my mind: Campolo, you're one day closer. As Soren Kierkegaard says, we're all like smooth pebbles. Swung, spun over the surface of a lake. You know, you've done yeah, that as a kid. Skip, yeah, yeah. skip along the surface until that moment comes when you run out of momentum and you sink to 100,000 fathoms of nothingness. Gee, that's at enlightening. Eight, yeah. At, at my age, I'm running out of momentum, <laughs> and I'm getting ready to sink, and I need Jesus at that point. Yeah, well, sure, that makes sense. The closer you are to death, the more you lean into, well, maybe there's a God. I mean, even um, some of the, you know, who did I have on the show recently who was an atheist and and uh, they were getting closer to the end and, and uh, oh, I was talking to Penn Gillette uh, from Penn and Teller oh. and we were talking about his atheism and we were talking about Larry King who I had on the show and Larry's an agnostic and I was trying to, talk, you know, the difference between an agnostic and an atheist and, and, of course, Penn said something like, well, of course he's an agnostic. You know, he's really close to death. He can't just write the whole thing You know, he's close to that final drop. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Hamlet Tillichy said, uh, we we all make noise on New Year's Eve because we're trying to drown out the macabre sound of grass growing over our graves. Is that macabre? (laughs) I like that one. Or uh, another one of his lines is, uh, it was better in the old days when we marked time with hourglasses clocks with their hands going round and round and round create the illusion that time goes on forever our clocks always uh, our glasses always reminded us time is running out and you know when you begin to face the reality of dying uh, you begin to say Jesus are you there because I need your comforting presence Mm -hmm. and uh, in those times of stillness in the morning I get his comforting comforting presence. I, I feel myself being lifted up from the despair uh, of death. Uh, you know, uh, Freud was the guy who first began to explore death. Uh, in the early stages of Freud's life, he talked about sex being the driving force. Uh, and he talked about uh, libido and all of that kind of sexy stuff. The second half of his life, he said there is something that drives human beings, but is not sex. It's the fear of death. And uh, thus Thanatos became the overwhelming mindset. And then more recently, the Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, Ernest Becker, wrote the book Denial of Death. We do all kinds of things to pretend we're not going to die. We have funeral homes and we have slumbering rooms and we dress people up nicely and put the – I always like Herbert Spencer, who is a very famous uh, atheist in England – uh, when he died, he was being laid out, you know, in the funeral home, and his his uh, chauffeur came in and looked at him, and he said, "Poor Herb, all dressed up and no place <laughs> to go." <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So you know, I live with my faith that says that. But more than that, if I was younger, I, Christianity would have another emphasis for me, and that is, it gives meaning to my life. 
What what does this life amount to? What am I supposed to do? Is is Shakespeare right? Is my life a tale told by an idiot? Or is there significance to who I am and what my life is about? Campolo, what are you trying to achieve in this life? And my answer is quite simple. God sent his son into the world not to get us give us tickets to go to heaven when we die. He came into the world to create a people through whom he could begin to change the world from what it is into the kind of world he wants for it to be. He called it the kingdom of God. That's the best stinking answer I've ever heard. Yeah. That's not a new shtick for you. You've been saying that for a while, right? Yeah, how how well, did I not key into that one well, earlier? You know, the funny thing is, uh, the problem with most evangelicals is they don't read the Bible. <laughs> over and over again, Jesus, the first thing he says, Matthew, Mark, Luke, that get any Bible, check it out. First thing he says, I have come to declare that the kingdom of God is at hand. I came to create a new social order, a world marked by justice, a world marked by love, a world marked... When Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God, he was alluding to the Hebrew Bible, which incidentally is what we should call it. Uh, Jewish people are offended when we call it the Old, Old Testament. Testament yeah. uh, they say it's our Bible, call it the Hebrew Bible. But in the 65th chapter of Isaiah, here's what the kingdom of God looks like. Number one, it's starting in the 17th verse. Children don't die in infancy. Do you understand why I work for World Vision? We're trying to keep kids from dying in infancy. Uh, old people live out their lives in health and well-being so that the guy that dies at 100 is considered unfortunate. Everybody has a decent house to live in. Everybody has a job in the vineyard. Nobody is economically exploited. Everybody gets just payment for his labors. He goes on to say, people don't hurt the earth anymore. I mean, this is not pie in the sky when you die. This is a social agenda for the transformation of our world into the kind of world God wants it to be. What just happened to you there? I, 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 I began to preach. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I may be an academic, but in the end... Down deep inside, there's this, you know... Preacher waiting to get out? I, I, I wish I was Billy Graham, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, you wish you were a black Billy Graham. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you right. do. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, you you know, Drew, that I, I am I am a black preacher. Yep. I belong to an African-American church. There's a funny thing. The largest and most prestigious African-American university in the United States is Howard University in Washington, D.C. Every year... They have me come and preach as one of the spokespersons in the Black Preacher series. That's whack. And the reason is there are black preachers who preach white, and there are some white preachers who preach black. <laughs> and Tony Campbell falls into the yeah, latter Yeah, baby. Category. That's So brilliant. there you go. Uh, folks, right now 3.5 million children are at risk of starvation in East Africa, and they need us to act now. Now. Oh, wait a second. Now. So maybe we could be the hope for their future because apparently a hunger-free world is possible. So here's a suggestion. Worldvision.ca forward slash East Africa. Worldvision.ca forward slash East Africa. That's where you go. Can I comment on that? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. You know, uh, you look at the world hunger and those statistics you just gave us. Scary stuff. Let me tell you the incredible difference that Christian people working through groups like World Vision have been able to accomplish. 25 years ago, 45,000 children under the age of 12 
died every day. Today it's down to 17,000 because people sponsoring children are rescuing them from that kind of death. Do you believe those numbers? Yeah, I sure do. I'm a sociologist. I didn't collect them. I didn't collect them from from a, a religious source. I wouldn't trust a religious source. But you know, these are actual figures. Twenty five percent of the twenty five years ago, uh, one out of every, every six person on the planet had no access to clean drinking water. Today, it's one out of twelve. The situation has improved one hundred percent. Guess. Who has sent people to drill and dig wells? You probably know churches that have sent teams out to dig wells in third world countries. You probably know churches that have sent doctors and nurses overseas. You, uh, 25 years ago, 80% of the population of the planet was illiterate. Today, it's down to 20%. Again, the church has played a major role in this. So when you support a kid through world vision, it's not a drop in the bucket. You are participating and a growing movement that, in fact, can eliminate poverty. Bono of U2 has pointed out that it is possible for us in the next 10 years to make poverty past tense in this planet. Wait a second. Doesn't that contradict what Jesus said? Jesus said this, the poor you will have with you always. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, well, you're going to have poor people. But didn't you just said Bono said that if, which who's more important, Jesus or Bono? I'm well, personally confused say, with that. Just let me say this: <laughs> I believe Jesus is coming back. Oh, ah, there you go. And here's what it says in the first chapter of Philippians: And he, are you ready for the he? He talking about Jesus. Oh yes, okay. Who begins the good work in you, eliminating hunger, eliminating poverty? He will complete it on the day of his coming. So as I participate with God in eliminating hungry hunger through programs like World Vision, I know that one day Jesus is coming back and will carry all of us to victory. Oh, man. That's why we call it is the good a, news. Is there a plate we can pass yeah, around? Listen, right I here wish right there was because <laughs> I think you're right for a contribution. It, it, let me just say, Drew, it only costs you $39 a month. That's $1.30 a day. Don't tell me you can't afford it. You're paying these good-looking girls You're so to just wrong. sit here so and wrong. look at you. You're paying these good-looking girls. Just the money you're paying for them could eliminate hunger for a pile of kids in a third-world country. Why do you think – okay, first of all, is it just the Jesus people – wait – let me, the real question is, are the Jesus people the best at doing at, at, at social justice and helping the poverty thing? Well, what about the yoga people, right? Yeah, come on, kumbaya. They take I, that to a whole new I level. They can, what about the the, uh, the Mormons? Come on, they're nice they, people. They, I would put them in the category. Nice. Wait a minute. I know I'm going to get hit for heresy on this. Oh, right, because the Mormons are considered themselves Christians yeah, as well. well Sorry. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I ask now more people, do you believe Jesus died on the cross yeah. and in that death uh, took the punishment for your sins so you could have eternal life? Their response is yes. yes. Now, yeah. I don't believe we're, when at death we're going to go to another planet no. and yeah. we're going to rule as king. I don't believe all that stuff. No. Yeah. But if they're focused on Jesus and what he accomplished on Calvary's cross, they're my brothers in faith. Yeah. And they don't have to be Baptist. I'm Baptist. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Well, you don't have to be Baptist to go to heaven, Drew. But why take a chance? <laughs> that's, what, that's what I want to know. Oh, jeez. <laughs> this guy's uh, preaching away saying, is everybody in this congregation a Baptist? One guy raises his hand and says, no, I'm Methodist. He says, why are you Methodist? He says, my mother was Methodist. My father was Methodist. They raised me to be a Methodist. He said, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. If your mother was an ignoramus and your father was an ignoramus, would you be an ignoramus? He said, no, I'd probably be a Baptist. Oh, you know, that's yeah, the there it is. There it is. There it is. There it is. Why do you not have a set in Vegas? This is gold. <laughs> gold right here. Yeah. 
Okay, is it true that your your son says that you said that when he came out, he's no longer a certaintist? That's what I like to say. Yeah. That's my word, certaintists, because yeah. I'm not a certaintist anymore. I, when he came out of the certaintist tribe, that your response, because I've heard that, I'm not sure. I think your response to his response is that you can't remember your response. So tell me if you think this was your response. Here's, I think, what your response was. You, you following? I'm listening. Okay. <laughs> the God that I believe in, doesn't send people to hell for bad theology. That's one of my statements. That's a thing you that's, do. That's yeah. one. That's you. That's one of the statements. Okay. The next thing I have to say is this, and this is where my uh, critics call me a heretic. Yeah. I can show you several places in in the Bible. Anybody who wants to know the places, write to me at Eastern University where I teach in St. David's, Pennsylvania, one nine zero eight seven. Write to me, and I'll give you a whole array of vo- verses that say, as it does in First Peter, that after death, Jesus confronts every person and presents himself for one last chance. One last, so you want to, right? Is that what you're saying? You die, and maybe you didn't buy into it before. You die, you get it some, somewhere in the after. Well, you stop to think of all the millions, yay, billions of people who never even heard the name of Jesus. Yeah. Are they going to go to hell and burn forever? Or does Jesus give them a chance after death? Let me just say what it says in Peter that it says that Jesus goes to preach to those who are in the prison house of death. Please, go to First Peter, read through it, and it says, concretely and directly, he goes there. It says, though I descend in hell, lo, thou art there. Uh, it says in Ephesians, what is it that he who ascended into heaven first descended into the lower parts of the earth to deliver the captive from their captivity? And believe, I believe in the hound of heaven. That even after death, the Jesus I know seeks after us. Oh, love that will not let us go. He will not let us go. He's after us and after us and after us, even after this life is over. So why bother now then? Because the Christian life is not simply a hardship you have to endure in order to go to heaven. It's a style of life that creates a new kind of humanity. I believe that when Jesus came into the world, he wanted to show us what a human being could be. Uh, You know, Abraham Maslow and the concept of the self-actualized man. I would always say to my students when I taught at the University of Pennsylvania, one of our Ivy League schools, you believe in the self-actualized man? I want to show you the self-actualized man. His name is Jesus Christ, and he embodies everything that humanity should be. He's empathetic, he's caring, he's loving, And most of all, he's fully alive. He's fully alive. The joy, the ecstasy, the the dynamism of Jesus. I mean, that's what it's all about. Yeah, but if that is all true, then the Jesus people shouldn't be as dopey and just... Right? Do do you understand? That was Greek. Did you study Greek? Yes, I did. Right. Did you understand what I was saying? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people... I've forgotten most of it. The only Greek I know runs a delicatessen around the corner. There you oh, go. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, you know, the, the Gandhi statement, uh, which has been misquoted, so I'll probably do the same, but the point was, it was something like, hey, you know, Christianity is awesome except for the Christians, right? That was yeah. a major, the yeah. point behind his thing. I'm so you look, so if, if the Jesus thing is real and it's, and it's a real God infiltrating and, and, and penetrating people's lives, that you think that the, that the, the Christians would be... Not Republicans. You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, it's hard for me to believe that 81% of evangelicals in America voted for Donald Trump. That is just I have to tell you something. 
There are so many young people who are rebelling about that fact that they refuse to call themselves evangelicals. That's why we started this new movement called Red-Letter Christians. Take Jesus seriously. Don't get caught up in Donald Trump. Look to Jesus. And he says this himself, Jesus, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. The point being this, what Christians ought to be doing is not simply declaring the divinity of Christ, which I do and which Christians should do, but declare the humanity of Jesus. You want to be a fully actualized, totally alive human being, then let Jesus invade you and transform you from within and make you a vibrant, alive person. I mean, this world is full of dead people. I mean, it's, I'm on an elevator in Chicago, and, and there's this kid next to me, and he's got his baseball hat on backwards, and he's got his pants low. Do they do that here in this town? Yes, they do. Well, I mean, this— Tim still wears his, his pants low, his but pants were, he's, he's just lost weight, that's all. They're so low, yeah. Drew, yeah. that you can see the crack no. in the back. Say no oh, to crack. Yeah, Tim. see, I, I had the strong temptation yeah. to take out my pencil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I said, hi. Sharpen it. Hi. I said, having a good day? Yeah. What's life been for you? Okay. I mean, the kid's dead. We got down to the ground floor. The elevator door did not open. I panicked. I I got claustrophobic. I I said, what? Open this door. Banging on the door. Open this door. All of a sudden, I heard a voice behind me say, sir, the door is open. I turned. It was one of those elevators that had doors, doors on both sides. Yeah. This kid did not laugh. I couldn't believe That's it. That's a funny moment. He didn't laugh. He started off the elevator. I grabbed him. I pulled him in. I said, kid, laugh. Yeah. This is funny. This is hilarious. I mean, when an 82-year-old guy laughs and a, a 16-year-old kid is mm-hmm. dull, I say there's something wrong with the world. He yeah. needs Jesus, man. Really? Yeah. See, this is why I'm Baptist. But... If I had the choice to be anywhere in a denomination, I'd be Pentecostal. No. Oh, come on. You know, I'm not agreeing with their theology, but I am agreeing with the fact that you go to a Pentecostal church, they're alive, man. There's vibrancy there. I mean, I I go to some churches. I I was told you, I was in a Presbyterian church in the United States about two months ago. And I pulled out every humorous story I could think of to make this sermon alive. On the way out, a lady said to me, oh, Dr. Campolo, you were so funny. I almost laughed out loud. You know, you know, That's what are you a tough do? crowd. What are you going to do? Uh, sh- what are you going to do when you got that kind of situation? Church. I want a church. That's why I belong to an African-American church. Yeah. We know how to be alive mm. in the context of church. You scare me. Well. No, you do. You scare me. Yeah. Why do I scare you? Well, first of all, it's because I listen, and that's hard. I don't listen very often. But there's something about you that gets through. It's your stories. It's your humor. It's the fact that you're old. You're not threatening. You're not an egomaniac. I don't smell ego from you. Okay, that's good. Uh, And I can't smell agenda. Yeah. Uh, Except, you know, check out Jesus. I mean, that's an agenda. I'm okay with that. Support a child for world vision. Yeah. Heck yeah. 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 Those two things are synonymous. That's right. Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, 25th chapter of Matthew, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. As a matter of fact, when he gives the great commandment, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Mm. And then he says, and the second is the same thing. The second is like an unto it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Namely, Jesus is saying, you can't love God in the abstract. 
The only way you can love God is through your neighbor. Your neighbor is the, is the intermediary between you and God. You can't get to God directly. I mean, he's, he's, he's amorphous. You, you can't conceptualize him. But if you can, in the power of his spirit, look into the eyes of another human being, and with all the energy that God can give you, which is what prayer is about, is getting energized for encounter, you're able to look into another. I always say to my students, when was the last time you looked into a person? Not at, but into. When was the last time, with all the energy of God, you came through the other person's eyes, reached down into the depths of that person's being, and connected with the innermost recesses of that person's humanity? When was the last time you connected like that? I'm not talking religion. I'm talking about what it means to be a human being that's fully alive. And that's what it's all about, to be human beings that are fully alive. Your son is fully alive. Yeah, well, I think he's going to lose some of it. That's my fear. Uh, he's left the Christian faith, and I'm worried about him. I'm worried about him because it's the, the intense commitment to other people that Christ generates within me and has generated within him makes us willing to burn ourselves out for Jesus and his people who are in need. My problem is that Bart's departed from the faith over the last two years. It was the fuel of Christ that was driving him. What is it now? The fumes. He's running That's on the fumes. so interesting. He's running on the fumes. There's something left over from the days he was motivated by the energy of God, but that energy is, is running out. And the fumes that are left are keeping him going. And I'm concerned and check with him all the time because I feel him running down. I feel the same way. I, wouldn't, I, I have been trying to figure out what is the thing below. By the way, we have two minutes left. Uh, the thing below m my surface that, that feels that, – that why am I just – there's another Greek word for you. Yeah. Um, and I think – you know, I do wonder. I do wonder if I'm just running on the fumes of my leftover 30 years in the Jesus scene and the, you know. Well, all it scares I, me. All I know true. is the fruits of the Spirit are love and joy and, you know, fully alive. Yeah, that you, stuff is irritating, man. You, joy? You, mm. you who used to be dead, you hath he made alive. Does that sound like Billy Graham? Whoa. Make you alive. Mm. Yeah. And uh, Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, said, the glory of God is a human being who is fully alive. I don't hear that very often. I, I, there's a lot of dead people in this world. You know, uh, one of my professors at, at university when I was studying sociology said, you Christians pray all wrong. You pray, if I should die before I wake, what you should be praying, if I should wake before I die. And then he went on to say, because most people are not awake. Uh, we live in a society, I can still hear him saying this, we live in a society where uh, people who are awake are half asleep and people who are asleep are half awake. That's what's wrong with our world. And that's why Jesus came, to wake us up and to give us the fullness of life. This is an unfair question to ask with 30 seconds left, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm, I'm a jerk. Bart, is he going to go to hell? I believe that after death, and I've already said this, that Jesus will present himself with all of his glory. So, so then, therefore, you don't, have, you don't have to worry about it. I'm then. not worried because I know this. I know this, that when Jesus is 
confronted with all of his glory and love and majesty, he is irresistible. If I be lifted up, he said, I will draw everybody to myself. So I see Bart encountering Jesus. If you read the book that we wrote together, Mm -hmm. Why I Left, Why I Stayed, he will say this. I want to be a Christian. I want to believe. Please don't get the idea that I'm some rebellious kid. I want to be a Christian. And he looks at me and he looks to some of my friends and he says, I want to be like you guys. You're not hypocrites. You're living out the message. I want to be like you. It's just not real to me. Well, one day, someday, it will be real. And I hope it's before he dies. And that's why I don't argue with him. Because I've never met anybody who became a Christian because he lost an argument. No, yes. Stop to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. People become Christians because people pray for them and they're moved by the Spirit into a confrontation with the resurrected Jesus. Tony Campolo, social justice advocate, activist, theologian, best-selling author of this, uh, by the way, this is his latest book, Why I Left, Why I Stayed, Conversations on Christianity Between an Evangelical Father and His Humanist Son. The website is TonyCampolo.org, C-A-M-P-O-L-O, TonyCampolo.org. And, of course, WorldVision.ca is a place you need to go today. Folks, that's the end of our show. Thank you for tuning in. If you missed any of it, you can go to our website by the end of next week, and we'll have it eventually loaded. We're Canadian. We'll get there. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate the fact that someone listens, (laughs) even if it's not Tim. Bye. People ask me how I'm doing, and I come from all their fears. I'm swearing like a trooper.